Hello, and welcome to the Global Venturing Review Podcast. I'm Fernando Moncada, just chiming in very quickly because for this week's episode, we won't actually be having a regular interview. Rather, we will be listening to the latest in Global Corporate Venturing's new live webinar series, The Next Wave. This episode of The Next Wave deals with an interesting question, which is sure to bring up some strong opinions, and that is, which is a harder job to do, VC or CVC? In the discussion, GCV's senior editor, Maya Palmer, speaks with Lisa Suenen from Venture Valkyrie and Heriberto Diarte from Quantum Innovation Fund about the relative challenges between these two ostensibly similar jobs. They talk about everything from the implicit challenges of the role to how they are remunerated, whether carry is a good idea, for example, what the best fund structures are, the time-consuming process of having to deal with internal stakeholders, as well as dealing with management change and reckoning with startups that are perhaps wary of CVCs, as well as many other topics. The next wave is a monthly live webinar held on the second Wednesday of each month, and next month on the 14th of December, the topic will be on space tech and how CVCs have a role to play in that industry, whose ultimate aims include making the human species itself multiplanetary. We're getting some great names lined up for that one, so keep an eye out for updates and be sure to register. We'll be including a link to the registration in the show notes. That's about it from me for housekeeping. This is really a great conversation with a lot of golden nuggets of information, so do enjoy the show. Who has the harder job, BC or CBC? And this is an interesting topic because, the, you know, as we'll see it in this discussion, these two uh roles are very different. Um, often CVCs try to say that they act as much like VCs. They're just as astute financial investors. They're quick on deals. They do everything like VCs do. But there is a lot of additional work that a CVC does. Um, in order to help talk us through the topic, um, I have two eminently qualified people. So let me introduce them quickly. Um, and then Lisa and Harry can fill in a little more about their background as we come uh, to the discussion. But so Lisa Soonan uh, has done kind of every single role uh, that there is to do with startups and, and venture. Um, but what makes her particularly qualified to talk about the kind of CBC versus VCs. So, you know, she started out, I think you uh, came from the VC side, then went into uh, GE Ventures, leading the GE Ventures Healthcare Fund, also worked at, uh, is it Cardiation, which was the American Heart uh, Association? I started that, yeah. Mm -hmm. started that. Um, and then came out of that CVC world, went back into financial VC, a variety of roles. And the latest news, hot off the press, which I only learned today, was now going to join a startup. So going right back into the, uh, you know, the full loop de loop, I guess, um, of roles. So um, having worn all these hats, I think Lisa's very well qualified to talk about kind of how these roles differ. Um, and then uh, Harry Diarte. So who lots of people will know from having founded SE Ventures. Um, that was back in 2017, was it, Harry? Um, yeah. and, and ran that very successfully. And then you had a slightly different path into all of this because you came very much from the company side. So having done a lot of operational company roles at places like Alstom, Semex, et cetera. And then now you've kind of made the leap into financial VC fairly recently. So um, this will be fresh in your mind. I think you can probably see a lot of the contrast quite sharply now because this is still something that, um, you know, you've started doing the last six months. So really interested to hear your perspective. And so welcome both. I am just going to introduce myself as well. So 
Uh, I'm Maya Palmer. I am a relatively new editor at uh, Global Corporate Venturing. And as many of you will hopefully know, Global Corporate Venturing, we're a sort of media uh, and, and market intelligence company. We host um, events. Uh, we have the GCBI uh, it's sort of, uh, membership society. We have the um, institute where you can, there's a sort of opportunity for professional development of your um, corporate venturing skills. So we do quite a lot of uh, you know, different pillars of what uh, the CVC investor will need. And these webinars kind of slot into that because they give us an opportunity to talk about some of these um, dilemmas to a wider audience. And then in some of our Institute courses, for example, we would go into a much deeper dive um, on kind of really how you navigate CVC roles. So we, uh, I would love to start by just asking the audience and putting a little poll up, which is, uh, which do you think is harder? Um, and actually, I'm going to start this by asking of the audience that we have today, who works in uh, BC and who works in CVC? And OK, that's going very fast. So we have a majority CVC audience, a couple of VCs in there um, and a few people who are in, in neither. So so very much a CVC audience, which doesn't surprise me. This is our our. Um, kind of audience, uh, typical audience. We do write about uh, CVCs mainly. So, so I'm not surprised to see that. So let's ask the second poll question. Uh, who thinks, you know, is who has the harder role, CVC uh, or BC? Uh, okay. And again, this is not surprising because, okay, some people are, are voting for BC. Okay. So about 72% are saying CVC. This is very similar. So we asked this question on LinkedIn um, and our audience there, 79% of them uh, said that it was CVC had the harder role. And again, I, I feel like it's perhaps those um, results are a little biased because we have such a heavily CVC audience. They're bound to think that um, everybody always thinks that they have the hardest job in the world. And perhaps the CVCs are more aware of, um, you know, the, the complexities just to kind of flesh this out a little bit and give us a little bit of food for thought before we dive into the discussion. So some of the reasons why um, CBC is seen as the more complicated role are kind of encapsulated in these charts. And these were ones that were shared uh, with me by my colleague, Liz Arrington, who runs the GCB Institute. Um, and it's really just, you don't have to kind of dive into all the detail of this, but it's showing you here the really complicated ecosystem that the CVC investor has to navigate. So there's all the internal stakeholder management. There's the liaison with the business units at the parent corporation, et cetera, in addition to doing all the other external ecosystem work that ABC would typically have to do with co-investment partners, startups, and so on. Um, and again, this is, um, you know, just a very similar thing in terms of, you know, you're navigating in what's already quite a complicated uh, corporate setup where you're looking at a variety of kind of competing functions. So you have your M&A strategy, your R&D, joint ventures and licensing, and then, you know, the corporate investment sits somewhere in between this and has to sort of, depending on how it's set up, speak to all of these, maybe speak to none of these, but you're certainly competing for attention and resources with all of these things. So that doesn't help. Um, just to kind of put the opposite case, this is um, this is the sort of chart. I think everybody is pretty familiar with this. I think that I've, I've seen various versions of this knocking around since about 2016. Um, but it's a kind of reminder that, you know, VCs 
in, in a way only have one job, right, which is picking startups that will make a financial return. And so it's a pretty one simple lens to look at things. Now, when I'm not saying it's easy to find that one that's going to be the great return, but you're looking for one thing. And even with that, um, you know, yeah. it's still pretty clear that that not everybody returns uh, you know the, 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 the their investment that returns the funds, etc. So, um, you know that five percent that become really very successful, still a little bit of a, a minority. And one of the things that I'd love to talk about as we kind of go into this discussion is maybe you know is the sort of CVCs and VCs sort of or CVCs trying to act like VCs in the sense of of being really caring a lot about financial returns is very laudable, but at the same time, they have so many other things. Maybe they're comparing, we're not comparing quite, you know, we're comparing apples and oranges, and this is always going to be slightly disappointing. Um, so anyway, having set the scene, I think it's time to turn to um, let Lisa and Harry talk rather than just me. Um, so I'd love to start, and I'm going to see if I can stop sharing my screen so that we can see everyone better. But I'd love to start with this kind of question of um, which do you think is harder, uh, having done both? And maybe I'll start with you, Lisa. So tell us a little bit about, you know, where you are right now. But also, yeah, which, which one was the, was the more challenging role? Um, you know, I think from, I think it depends, right? I think it depends a lot on how the fund at the corporate side is structured and its goals and charter versus, you know, the the out the outside VC fund. I, you know, I have been fortunate I've worked both in independent venture funds and in corporate venture funds. Um, and I'm currently an advisor to three standalone venture funds and two corporate funds. Um, so, you know, in some cases, you know, well, let me just say at GE Ventures, we were structured mostly like an independent fund. So we were, we had a segregated budget. We had autonomy in our investment committee. You know, we didn't have to go to the operating side for approval. Um, we weren't investing around the core. We were investing kind of in the, in the out blue sky, five years out kind of focused range. So we didn't conflict with operations and didn't much come up against the thing where they wanted to build it instead of pay, you know, invest in it or buy it or whatever. And we weren't a substitute for the M&A group. So we were very much more like an independent venture fund than most corporate venture funds. I think the biggest hardship for corporate ventures that makes it a little harder is the whimsical nature of, of the ends of the fund. Because the biggest you know, correlation to the death of a vet corporate venture fund is the change of CEO. And CEO change happens relatively regularly in large corporations, you know, not every day, but certainly enough, especially in a volatile economy. And oftentimes when, when CEOs change, the, the venture fund is dissolved. And in a standalone venture fund, you have more um, control over your own destiny as long as you're good at fundraising and have good outcomes, which makes you good at fundraising. So I think, you know, in some ways, the corporate venture fund job is harder from a, you know, self-destiny management standpoint. And there are a lot of a lot more politics mm -hmm. in the company versus politics among the partners. I'm not sure which of those is harder, frankly, because I've seen both both of those play out in not great ways. <laughs> and, and, and so even even at GE Ventures, which, you know, by all accounts, it was it was hugely successful in, in what it did. It was yeah. set up in a very independent way. And yet it still kind of came a little unstuck by some of those 
um, you know, the management change type of thing. It was killed by management change. I mean, yeah. it was killed by a management change and a change of financial fortunes of the company, um, not because of its performance, which was stellar, frankly. And, yeah. and it was interesting fund also because I'm thinking now all of the people that worked for me anyway, in the healthcare fund, and most of the people from the other funds had come out of independent venture capital organizations, not out of operations. So we were very experienced um, in the in the art of venture capital, such as it is. And um, so it was an unusual corporate venture fund, I think, in some ways. But um, having said that, and having worked with many corporate venture funds as a strategy consultant as well, I, you know, I the chart, the complicated chart you drew there, or or, or that mm-hmm. some Liz drew, is real. I mean, it's definitely a lot of people to to, to pay attention to as you yeah. think about the job. Yeah, yeah. But no, I can hear the sort of frustration that you can have these stellar results, which would have any, you know, LP, you know, uh, sort of rubbing their hands with glee and saying, you know, go do more, go faster. And, uh, and, and yet then, I mean, was there, a, I think there's a, sometimes we talk a lot about how to protect, uh, you know, a corporate fund from management change, but it doesn't feel like you can necessarily do that effectively ever. I don't think you can. I mean, it's really subject. I mean, you can give it a little more life by giving it a, a you know, actually setting aside a separate fund structurally that has a, you know, a commitment that's legally binding in a way, but it's pretty hard to enforce that. I mean, what's the corporate venture fund going to do? Sue the parent? I doubt it. So I think, um, I think it's very hard to protect. And, you know, on the, on the standalone venture side, your best protection from, you know, demise is good results, right? So if you have good results, you're likely to be able to raise another fund. Um, And nevertheless, those funds have a certain shelf life too, in most cases. I mean, they're not that many funds that live for 20 or 30 years. There are some, obviously, but they're not, um, it's not the most common outcome. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, all right. Well, so Harry, maybe to bring bring you in. Um, and so just tell me, what's your sort of gut reaction uh, answer to that? Which one is harder? And then, you know, tell us a little bit about sort of the, the SE Ventures story, because again, that was set up in a way that it was, it, it very much felt quite independent, um, you came in with some strong ideas about how it should be run and 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 carved out quite a lot of freedoms for yourself. Yes, and that worked really, really well. Um, for many years, we had a lot of freedom, independent decision-making, carry. Um, we were very close to what you could say is an independent CBC fund, and that worked really well, both strategic uh, results for our parent, who had a, a long list of KPIs we can talk about later, um, and also financial results. So that worked really well. Um, but as we became more successful, we became increasingly um, in, entangled in internal conversations because um, at the beginning, nobody cared about us so much. But when we started achieving some good results, we became very visible. And then we were the go-to for anything to do with innovation. Hey, what should we do about crypto? You should know something about this. And going on a wild goose chase to figure out what do we do with crypto and so on and so forth. So we, <laughs> at the end of, of my time uh, managing SE Ventures, I was spending at least 50% of my time uh, managing my stakeholders internally, which is really, really hard. And um, and it's it's a needed thing, um, but it's not 
what I enjoy so much doing, right? I, I enjoy working with startups, meeting startups, helping them build businesses. Um, so, so, um, um, but, but AC Ventures is doing phenomenally well. It will continue to do very, very well because structurally set up in, in the right way. We didn't get to be completely like an independent fund like Sapphire Ventures or something like that, but we are as close as you can get to in a CVC to that. Yeah. Now, addressing your question, what is harder, CVC <laughs> or VC? So I've been in, in a pure financial VC for only two and a half months, but I would try to, I will um, divide the answer depending on the time horizon you're looking at. I believe that in the long-term, medium and long-term results base, VC is harder than CVC. Um, and I'll explain why. And in the short term, uh, CVC is harder than VC. Let me explain what I mean. In, in a pure financial VC, you need to deliver those financial resources that are better than your peers to be able to continue fundraising. In a, in a CVC, there are other values that you can bring to your LP, to, to the corporate, yeah. that are not necessarily financial. They're doing it for other reasons. They're doing it for innovation. They're doing it for market intelligence. They're doing it to digest and, and acquire or, or partner with new technologies. So for example, in, in a CVC, if you invest in a company that has some really good technology that your parent company can use and they absorb that technology or, or whatever, that is a win. Whether the startup was a resounding financial success or not, that is a win for the corporate. And it's a, it's a great success for the CVC. In pure VC, that is not a win. <laughs> Your investment has to do 5X, 3X, otherwise it's not a win. So there are other ways in which uh, a CVC can add value and be considered a success. And in a pure financial VC, it's only your returns. So in the, in the long term, that's harder. And also the fundraising part, I didn't have any experience fundraising. And it's hard. It's really hard to do that. I'm doing that now. And you have to really prepare. You have to be better than others. You have to have an angle. So it's like you're on the other side. You're raising money uh, from sophisticated people. And that is not easy. So the on the long term, because of the results orientation and the fundraising, VC is harder. In the short term, CVC is harder because you have to manage so many stakeholders your heads of R&D, your business unit leaders, your supervisory board, um, the, the strategy people. There's a lot of people that you have to manage, expectations, knowledge, bring on board, try to deliver the, the results you gave to your startup. There's a lot of stakeholder management and that makes it really complicated uh, and it's political and so on and so forth. And so that makes it really hard in the short term, just doing your day-to-day -day job. Um, and you have to do that. You're there to create some value for your LP. So you have to do that work that sometimes you will feel is not adding value to me or to my fund performance. That's right. But you're adding value to them. And that's why you're there for. And it's hard. I have to say that now that I'm in a pure VC, I feel liberated. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> I'm just spending 90% of my time talking to startups, working with startups, the, the, the politics of the stakeholder management in a, in a real VC, in a, in a financial VC, is, is very close to zero. And it's really wonderful. So I'm enjoying myself much more. Yeah. So in the short term, CVC is hard. 
Do you know what I found really interesting that, that you said, Harry, was that it actually the stakeholder management became more as you became successful and you started to be noticed by, you know, the parent corporation. So that in the beginning, maybe you were you had more freedom to just kind of pursue. And then as they kind of saw you. So that's something to kind of for people to um, maybe bear in mind for their fund, that as you become you almost have to budget more time. Um, as you, you you would expect that it, things would become more uh, you know easier as you get more successful, right? People would leave you alone to don't kill the goose that's laying no. the eggs. It's the opposite. It's the opposite because a now you have a large portfolio and it's starting to do things, and the the people inside the company want to know those companies. They want show and tells. They want meetups. They want this and that. And like I think Harry said, you know that you begin to become sort of the you know. Um, the people they trot out when there's an innovation discussion about any type and it can get very challenging. And I think the other thing is you start to believe yourself, you know, that the, the purpose of your existence and, and you, you know, becomes very real as these companies in your portfolio mature, the best way you can help them a lot of times is to get them business from your company. And so you need to, you know, spend time trying to negotiate those relationships you know, we, as we grew bigger and bigger at GE Ventures, we started hiring more and more people that were just focused on portfolio sort of, you know, matchmaking within the company and, and shepherding the, the business relationships from an, a business development standpoint. Um, you know, on the venture side, you, it's much more about, you know, making connections for people, using your network to help them, but you're not really, you know, like living and dying by, you know, your own connections for those companies um, the way you are expected to on the CBC side. Now, I want to say at this point, actually, that we're starting to get some questions in and I would encourage anybody who wants to ask questions to put them in the Q&A function because I I, I just think this is a good opportunity to to pick the brains of two extremely experienced people. Um, And because we're starting to... To get some, I think, you know, uh, Lawrence de Jong has gone straight in for the the question, right? The sort of uh, the remuneration one. Um, and I was going to get to that, but maybe we can jump into that right now, which is, you know, carry. Um, should you have it? Should you have some sort of synthetic carry? I mean, it, Harry, it sounded like you you had carry uh, at, uh, you know, at SE Ventures. Um, Lisa did how was what was the the GE ventures system no we didn't have carry we had uh we had you know good salaries and bonuses uh also good but not carry and I think I think it's pretty unusual for true carry to be given out by CVCs I mean it happens obviously Harry had that and I've seen a few others uh McKesson does that sort of they do like a shadow carry kind of a thing uh I think that's more common and then you know no carry is the most common um so it becomes harder to attract, you know, the, the the more experienced investors a lot of the time because of that. On the other hand, what I would say is the ability of most financial venture funds to deliver meaningful carry to their partners and, and people is less than people may realize most of the time. If you think about that returns chart, right, you've got to overcome the capital raised, a certain IRR, usually a hurdle rate before carry is distributed. It oftentimes is seven to 10 years before you see a dime of it. And um, if you see anything material, and by then you might've made that much in you know, salary and bonuses. So it really, it's a, it's a bit of a you know, complex calculation, I think. So you'd say maybe people make too much of, of that, you know, the the temptation of the, oh, I could get carry, I could get great carry somewhere else. It's actually maybe not. 
um, as as golden an yeah, opportunity. Yeah, I think people have some fantasy that you get returns in three years or something, and I, you know, it's pretty rare for that to happen. But, but Harry, how did it did it make a big difference at, at you know for you at SE Ventures? Was it a good kind of recruitment tool or? Absolutely, I really believe that all CVC should have carry, and I'm offering to all my colleagues there. If you want me to help you to talk to your management to put that in place, I've done it for three companies that successfully put carry on. I think it's a great tool, and let me explain to you why. First of all, what are the profiles you need in a successful CVC? I agree with um, what Lisa has said about this partnership team. We call it partnership team. Uh, others call it the business development team. Others call it the catalyzer team. Um, when we started in SE Ventures, we had one person who was making the relationship between our portfolio companies and, and, uh, and, and Schneider Electric to look for those win-win collaborations. When I left, we were we had built a team that was eight people. That was high, bigger than the investment team because that takes a lot of time. But that's how you create value for your LP, but also for your portfolio company. So that's one profile. And those are they were all company people who had the network and knew who to talk to. On the investment side, we had investment professionals, people who have been doing this for 10 years, have invested in companies, and they have the judgment to pick the winners, to help them, and so on. That's a profile. To attract some of the best people on that profile, you need to give them that incentive that this is Adam Smith, right? This is if, that if you do really, really well, you're going to make a lot of money. And there is a correlation between the best strategic value and the best companies. Corporations are going to get the best strategic value from really successful companies because those are the ones that have the better technology, that are, have the better fit with the market, that have the better management to support you. So there's a correlation between the strategic returns that you get and this, how successful that company is going to be. So you want to incentivize your people to find those really rare companies that are going to be the winners on each category. So carry is very important for that. And in, in SD Ventures was very successful because I we were able to hire phenomenal investors that had many different options, including with real VCs, because we could offer them a very... Um, uh, strong remuneration package, both on the cash, but also the, the potential of the carry. No, it's interesting. I mean, I, I have spoken to some, you know, CVCs where they they said that, you know, carry definitely helped them, re, you know, retain people for longer. So I, it's, it, it is interesting. Um, would love to stay on the carry point, but we're, we're getting so many good questions. Thank you, everyone. I'm going to just like the next one. I'm just going to leave it to the audience to ask the questions because these are so good. So let's just try to work through some of them because I think they're touching on points that we would have wanted to get to anyway. Um, there's one here from Justin Merle, which I think would be um, to just talk about the, you know, the differences in cultures between corporate VC and financial VC. So expectations, day-to-day work, work-life balance. I'm actually interested in the work-life balance bit of that. Um, is is there any difference? Do you, you, is it just a kind of intense job, whichever you do or, I think it's both intense and and sometimes not intense. I mean, it really, I mean, culture is always defined by the people, right? And I think, so that's part of it. Um, The demands of internal communications and stakeholder management, as Harry said, are big in the corporate venture side, but the pressure to constantly be worried about the company's financial performance excelling beyond everyone's wildest dreams is less. I mean, so there's just a different sort of pressure on the, on the financial venture side, the culture 
uh, can be great because you kind of make your own hours uh, more so, but you also, there's a lot, you know, politics between a bunch of people who are partners instead of in a hierarchy can get really tense. And uh, a lot of times these things don't go well. Um, and it really depends on how you've structured your voting and your investment committees and things like that in either case. So I think work-life balance can be great in VC. I mean, nobody calls you, you know, when the server goes down at a company when you're the VC, as opposed to when you're in operations at a company. But um, in the end, you know, like every job is hard if you do it well. And every job has some performance requirements if you do them well. And every job has teams that work well together or don't. And so I'm not sure there's a lot of difference, frankly, between that in that in that angle yeah. of the venture yeah. world. Yeah, it's not, it's, you know, you're not slacking definitely in either. What about, what do you think, Harry, though? I mean, you know, with your fresh eyes, because you're now at a financial uh, VC, what's a, kind of, has that made a big difference to your day to day? I mean, I, I know you kind of talked about the fact that, you know, you're not, you're, you're spending 99% of your time now doing the thing you actually like doing, which is talking to, you know, startups. So that's a difference. But anything else that's come up? Um, that's a very good question because I don't have a, a strong view. Usually I have strong views about everything, but not on this one. Uh, it hasn't made, made, uh, made a big difference. It depends, I guess, the firm that you join. Uh, I have some friends uh, who have joined uh, big firms where it's very genteel and they don't work really long hours and so on. The firm that I join are workaholics. And sometimes I do something that I didn't do before at the Ventures often, which is work on the weekends, right? We have sometimes pitches and things on the weekends because that's the only time we could arrange things. Um, so in my current firm, people are working all the time. Um, and I've said, I don't work on the weekends and I have dinner with my family and I can work after. I, I set my boundaries, but sometimes we overstep those boundaries. But but I'm happy, I'm fine. Um, it, with In SE Ventures, I didn't work on the weekends most of the time unless I had to travel and so on. What was really difficult for me personally was the, um, the time zone in California, working for a global company where we were investing mm. in China and everywhere. I had too often 5 a.m. meetings, too often, really, really all the time. And, and here in my new work is only Mondays at 6 a.m., which is 8 p.m. 8 a.m. in Houston, where we have the partners meeting, you know, the typical investment committee every Monday morning. That's only one day. The rest of the days I start at a very nice hour. So I think it's more or less the same overall. Okay. No, good, good answers. Now, here's one which I'm going to throw at you, uh, Lisa, first, because I think you've advised uh, a lot of CVCs also in their setup. So I think you'd be, but I'd, I'd, I'd love to hear from you, Harry. But so this is the Edward Newton question, which is, you know, um, your view on the three main success, success factors when it comes to CVC. Um, or, you know, the opposite, which is the three main mistakes that CVCs tend to make. So, Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the things that make CVCs most successful are one, really getting buy-in at the beginning about what the goals and metrics for success are, like getting real stakeholder agreement about how you're being measured and how and what your objectives are. Because most CVCs, not all, but most are as interested in the strategic value as defined by them than they are in the returns because no, you know the amount of returns you can get couldn't possibly equal even the annual you know profit for most of these companies. So 
that's number one, you know, with a bullet. Number two is investment committee, you know, organ structuring. So you have some autonomy over investment decisions and, you know, having in a way to make investments that doesn't come into constant conflict with operations and others or, or get thwarted at the treasury level every time you, you know, try. Um, and so I think investment committee structuring and sort of having clarity, that plus having clarity around the purpose and the, and the metrics is, is critical. And the third, I think, um, most important factor is hiring experienced venture people, at least in the in the senior level roles, you know, the, or the medium to senior level roles. Venture capital is a skill set like any other. Um, you wouldn't hire a president of a company division who had no experience doing something like that. Most, you know, unless you're kind of crazy. Um, and same with VC, you need to hire people that are good and not use it as a reward system just for people inside because they want to do it. I think those are the most important factors in success. And in contrast, the opposite are the most important factors yeah. in failure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so you don't um, do those. You, you're so, and you, you're kind of nodding and and, and smiling here, Harry. Because I, what, what, what do you, what would you add to that? Because I, again, I, I sort of remember you talking to me about when you came into SE Ventures, and you had a real sort of laundry list of, you know, I want it to be done like this and not like this. So my point. <laughs> yeah. Um. First thing, what what makes a CBC successful, or what can you measure? Um. One thing is. And we had those KPIs. You know, uh, one measure is um, how much new technology and new business models you're absorbing from the market that the company is actually digesting from outside that was new and is making your LP better, right? And you can measure that in, in number of pilot projects. You can measure in R&D savings, these sort of things. As a second KPI would be how much of your portfolio companies are you selling to your customers? When you create a business, I cannot talk numbers, but in SE Ventures, we were wildly successful doing that, where the, the amount of money that S. Schneider Electric is selling to their customers, but from a solution that we don't do anything, sometimes we white label or whatever, we repackage or whatever, but it's coming from a startup, it's really big. And those sales also often have very good margins. Another one could be if, you're, if your corporate decided to buy some of your portfolio companies, because they like so much, they feel a portfolio, a gap in your product portfolio, or they can take you to a new market and so on. That is also another great win um, for your corporate. Um, another one is when you see your, your, you show your executive committee the light of, oh, this is a new area we should go into. That is an adjacency. We have an opportunity and the whole company mobilizes that into that direction because of the intelligence you brought to the table. That is also a, a win. Uh, that's how I understood the question about how do you know whether you're winning as a CBC? And also, of course, financial returns. Uh, you cannot lose money. If you start losing money, if you're in that 50% that returns less than capital, eventually they're going to shut you off. Some CFO is going to come and say, this is a mess. We can do this in a different way. And they're going to shut you off. Uh, yeah. So you need to make some profit. It doesn't have to be 5x, but you need yeah. to make some profit. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think that leads to, to another question, um, which, uh, you know, I saw from uh, Matthias Brandau, which is, you know, how to manage expectations when the results don't follow as expected. Um, 
because you know so okay so let's say you're not losing money but you know it's not going you're not showing huge returns and also it comes back to that question of okay so you have these strategic kpis as well but sometimes they're a little bit woolly again there can be some question marks over whether you're meeting those so how how did you in, in in each of your cases sort of do that expectation management especially when times were a bit tougher I don't know who wants to jump in first. Um, Harry, you're Harry looked like you wanted to jump right on that, so go for yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. So let's go to you first. You look like <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so the, the first and very, very, very important um, to anybody in a CVC, at the beginning, you need to manage expectations to your corporate. So the first thing we say in Silicon Valley, an overnight success takes five years. That's an overnight success. Normally, a normal success is 10 years, right? So you need to tell them about the J-curve to say, look, when we start investing for the next, and I told you, matter. For the first four or five years, I'm going to give you only bad news because we invest in 100 companies in year one. And then by year three, you know, half of them have died and so on. And then only on year five, seven, you start getting the good news of, of the winners, right? So you need to manage expectations about the J curve, the percentage of losses. But bad com- big companies are risk averse. They're, they're there to manage risk. As a VC, you're there to seek risk, to seek alpha, to seek that crazy idea that is going to change, you know, your industry. So you have to take those risks and you have to lose money and you have to do that. But overall, you know, you, in your, as a portfolio approach, you need to do well. And that will give you not only the financial returns, but also the technologies that are worthwhile for your parent company to adopt and to take to market and, and to ride that way. Um, so you need to manage expectations from the beginning. You're you totally, also, you're so, oh God, you're so right. So right. Did, did you, did you do that as well, Lisa? I mean, how did you oh, set it up? Yeah. I, I, I mean, I like love that, that was, that was. Five years of bad news. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we had a um, clear plan, plan, whatever you want to call it, a clear, you know, expectation when the thing was, was formed at GE and certainly the same at, at AHA, Heart Association, that, just exactly what Harry said. I mean, that's a huge part of, of everything. It's also one of the reasons the CBC rolls hard because, you know, everyone's a critic, right? Everybody on the, especially in the C-suite and the board, you know, want to know why you haven't made a billion dollars yet when they're watching the market climb and, you know, all the crazy, crazy of the last three years. Um, why aren't we part of that? And it's like, if you've just started investing, like, it's just not how the world works. You know, I mean, maybe there's an anomaly now and then, but if you're five years in and you haven't started to create returns, somebody's going to say, well, why are we, you know, spending all this cash? We need cash flow, you know, or you get all the write-offs in the earlier days, you know, that's a real bummer uh, for them to write off, you know, deals. Yeah. Harry's hundred percent right. That is number one with a bullet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There's something else you need to agree from the beginning or at some point in the journey on measurable KPIs, right? Uh, that, that cannot be fuzzy. Has, have you done a lot of pilot projects? Have you saved R&D? Are you yep. selling some of the solutions to your customers? Uh, have you acquired any of these companies? Have you um, produced some you know, market studies of deep dives that have opened the mind of other people? You, you need to put numbers into that, and then you follow those numbers, and you, as a CVC, you deliver on those on those KPIs. That's the every CVC is a double bottom line, right? It's like all the strategic returns for your LP, so you you define them, 
can be one, two, three, four, whatever, and then the financial returns. Um, and then have objective things. And then the financial returns make very clear that it's only going to start looking good after year five or six. Buy yourself some time because you need, you need that. Yeah, And you also need to engage in a lot of prayer that management doesn't change during those five or six years. Because if somebody new walks into the CEO or the CFO role during those five or six years and sees the, the J curve down below the, the, the bottom of the J, you're a target. I mean, it's really tough, that part. Yeah. And, and actually related to that, I, I had one more question about this internal um, stakeholder management uh, issue. And then we can turn to some of these questions because there's a bunch of interesting questions about the sort of external side, which I'd love to come on to. But just one more question about, you know, the sort of the investment committee piece, right? So you you it, to set up an investment committee gives you a lot of freedom, but you have to have the right people on there. Yep. And so I just wondered if you had thoughts on, you know, who should be on there. And then if you do have to have someone on that committee that maybe isn't as much of a fan or a believer or doesn't really understand how venture works, how do you speak to them to um, yeah. get them on board? You know, Well, I think part of it is, the design of the committee and part of it is the communication with the committee and part of it is the, is the process of the fund. I mean, so, you know, I think the best practices are from a process standpoint is you shouldn't bring a company, to the investment committee that they've never seen before. There should be two, at least presentations about the company. First being, this is something we like a lot and here's why, and we're going to investigate it. Are you comfortable with us pursuing it further and get a little buy-in before you go further and bring it to vote a second, you know, on a second visit. You know, I think to the extent you can make the investment committee entirely made up of people from the fund, you're better off. It's rarely possible. But if you can, you know, look for the person in the, in the C-suite, hopefully, that understands the idea of risk and investment, you're much better off than getting somebody whose job it is to manage, you know, cash flow down and worry about this quarter's results. Um operating, you know, when you have to have operating people, so most funds have somebody either from the direct related operation to the company on the, on the investment committee or a standing person or two from the operating side. Again, you got to really be careful about, um, you know, keeping them up to date, keeping them up to speed, really understanding their motivations, you know, where they feel competitive with what you're doing and, and be a good communicator with them, not just see them in investment committee meetings, but be in touch, like constantly be communicating with them, talking to them, you know, collaborating with them, seeking to be partnering with them in a way that is productive for everybody, because otherwise you're just going to get shot down left and right. Yeah. And Harry, I think you, um, I just wondered if you had thoughts, because I, I think, you know, you, I remember you saying that, you know, like to try not to have maybe the CFO on there because they they would come at this at a from a different mindset. I've also heard other people say this as well. But is that do you think that's fair? Absolutely. I mean, <laughs> if you have no choice, you have to do exactly what Lisa said. But that's so painful. It's walking with a stone in your shoe. So we we have a saying in Mexico: it's better to ask for forgiveness than to ask for permission. Right. So what you want to do is to set up your IC and get as much empowerment as you can to the level as much higher level of that you can in terms of millions of dollars that the professionals join your team and can be the team can be a combination of VCs and company people and so on but people who understand and are willing to take risk measure risk um, uh, take the decisions and then inform that's the you know asking for forgiveness inform 
the company, what we did, why we did it, and so on, and then and try to partner. If you have inside of the decision-making or the investment committee, people who do not understand venture, who, who are traditional corporate people, it's going to be really painful and difficult. And you might not make the right type of decisions. That is a recipe for failure. So you, um, when it gets to a $50 million check or something bigger, that's when a CFO or corporate people can start understanding because companies at that stage, they start having revenue, they start having EBITDA, they start having, or, or a line of sight to that, numbers and things they can understand and do something with. But on the early stages, when you're putting the $10 million, $50 million check on a pre-revenue company that has some cool technology, but they have nothing, they're going to say, what is that? You know, why do you want to do that? So uh, the, the best is not to play that losing game, but to try to change the game that you have really the, um, how you call it, the, um, the freedom. And if you have to choose, don't choose the financial people. Choose the CTO or choose somebody that is more technology driven and, and things like that to have as a adult supervision inside your, um, rather than the financial people, which is all about risk mitigation, right? Yeah. Okay. So but also, you know, I've helped, I've helped form a few corporate venture funds and, and in each case, one of my suggestions is bring in an outsider to the investment committee, somebody not in the fund and not in the company. Um, but who is familiar with the industry and familiar with venture capital. It could be another venture capitalist from a financial VC, somebody who helps moderate the discussion in a way, not moderate officially like you are today, Maya, but moderates the, the risk-taking, the risk management, the future thinking, all of it together, who's not you know invested, if you will, and I mean that in the not money sense of the word, in the, in the outcome of the decision, but who has pregnant knowledge and pay them, you know, for the privilege of being there and pay them cash or something, but um, treat them as an investment committee member, a full voting member, and, it, and have them get, you know, ingrained with the team. And I think that's a really valuable thing to do. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Good suggestions. Now we've got a bunch of uh, questions about the sort of the other side of this, which is the relationship with the portfolio companies. And I think this would be really interesting to dive into a bit. So, um, you know, a, a lot of questions around, you know, do you think CVCs get the access to the best deals? How do you, can you match the speed of VCs? And also um, I think these questions, three questions are all related, but you know, is there still a difference in perception um, that startups have about CVCs or have we moved beyond that? I think that's over. I think it's over a long time ago, actually. I mean, when I started in venture, which is, you know, back in the late 90s, CVCs were very second-class citizens. And after, I mean, it slowly changed, but after the 2008 crash, CVCs were the only ones investing money, frankly. And they suddenly became, you know, very valuable and they should have been valuable all along. Part of the change that was CVC started at hiring more professional people into the job. So I think that's part of it. But I don't think there's a difference anymore. I think, you know, companies want smart, good, helpful people on their boards and in their cap table. And if you're smart and helpful and good, and especially if your company can add some value in terms of revenue or or strategic, you know, fit of some way, you're they're equal. I don't think there's a difference anymore. The amount of money that comes from CBCs versus Financial VCs there, you know, it's rapidly approaching equal. So, you know. And and the speed part, you know, are they, does it, can you do uh, deals as quickly as a, a, a VC? Because you've got these. Depends on how you've structured the investment committee and the, and the process. Yeah. Yeah. 
what, what what about you Harry did you find that it was easy at SE Ventures to to get in all, all the deals you wanted or I mean obviously nobody gets into all the deals but um I would uh, agree with everything Lisa said just two small um let's say um perhaps ex- exceptions we had and I think that still happens especially on early stages companies that we wanted to invest in and they didn't want to take our money because they didn't want to have the Schneider name inside because they wanted to sell to GE and ABB and Siemens and everybody else. So they wanted to be the Switzerland. And so that still happens. Um, um, I think happens more at early stages when the company is already bigger. Uh, they have less qualms about bringing other people. Once they have all the people as, as customers, they, they don't care as much. But that has happened to us. And it was not because we were not good or, or, or they're on time, just they didn't want to have the brand name. The, the, what can you do about that, though? I mean, do you try to persuade them or is, are those cases where you just have to say, well, look, sorry, OK, we, you know, we'll come back. In well, we, we try to tell them we're independent. There's there's some firewall. We have carry. We want to make you successful. I want to sell my stake in your company the highest possible because I have the carry. I'm on board with you. We try to explain all that, but some people are not persuaded because they have other options of the, the good companies have their peak of who they take money from, or they used to. In, that's so 2021, right? Um, I don't know how it is now. But um, but that happened. And so we lost some deals because because they didn't want the SE Ventures name because they know it's associated with Schneider Electric. But on the other hand, we won other deals at higher uh, uh, valuations of companies who are rocket ships that we were competing against one slot against seven people including really well-known financial VCs. But we were able to mobilize the sales force of our corporate and come and say, we are going to help you sell. Here's the plan. Here's the people who are going to help you sell. We're going to bring revenue to you and meaningful revenue, millions and millions of dollars. And the startup said, I buy this thing. You're the best investor to have around the table because you're going to help me build the company. So we won that deal. So it cuts both ways. Yeah. Okay. And and I think a kind of adjacent question to that was also, you know, are you finding that now startups are actually coming expecting more from a CVC investor and that there is a sort of expectation that there will be some some business? I mean, you know, because you're describing a situation where you're you, you're telling them all the things that you can do. But I wonder whether startups are now coming to you already with this kind of, um, you know, yes, we, we'd love to do a deal. And this is what we would want. We would want a POC. We'd want yeah, I think you have to, I mean, different companies have different strategies for this. So some CVCs are not allowed to invest in companies unless there is a corporate deal in the works or completed, you know, and some CVCs say, don't even think about it. You know, if it makes sense, it makes sense. And we'll get to it when we get to it. I think you have to be very clear with the portfolio companies, very honest with them about what you can deliver. Um, I mean, obviously it's clear if they already have a, a, an operating agreement with the company that you know, you know, it's going to work or if there's a clear obligation for that. But if you're going to wait around on an operating agreement, you may miss the investing window because those operating agreements in very large corporations can take, you know, from now till the end of time to complete. And so, I don't know, I, I used to tell people at GE, you know, we are not investing in companies around the core. The odds that you're going to get a business deal in the short term are low. I'll do my best to help you. Um, but you know, you should know that this is more about helping you like a traditional VC than it is about guaranteeing you, you know, a, a, an operating check from GE. And I think 
I think that strategy is generally more effective because if you're only investing in companies that can get a, a, you know, a partnership agreement before you put in the money, you got a long wait. <laughs> That's painful. But were some were some startups disappointed that they they weren't getting? Yeah, I'm sure they were, but you know, because not everybody believes you when you tell them the truth. But um, what are you going to do? You know. Yeah. You still got to add a value to them. You still got to make connections to them. I used to make connections to people for people at Portfolio Companies to our competitors all the time. Yeah. Yeah. Because what was my role was to make sure those companies were successful, not to make sure that the deal with GE happened. Because that's how we set up our fund. Yeah. You know, I mean, again, it was part of the KPIs from the very beginning wasn't how many strategic deals do you get done with GE? It was, you know, very returns oriented and also sort of innovation fluffy thing oriented, but um, not, not about, you know, checking boxes about how many corporate deals got done. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as you say, it's very different for um, those, you know, when that's a prerequisite that you, there is a deal, then um, I guess the, the answer to that though, is just being completely transparent with, with, you know, we, we work this way. And I, I wonder whether that's something that needs a little bit more light shed on it, you know, for the sake of startups um, is for them to understand which, how certain corporations, you know, invest in how that some will yeah. fall into this category and some will fall into ones where they're they're really not looking to to connect you up with a business unit. Um, Look, if you're a startup and you haven't done some research on who your investors are going to be, like you haven't checked in to talk to some of the companies that the fund has invested in before, you're kind of crazy. I mean, you should really know, you should do your due diligence as a portfolio company too, and talk to some of the CEOs of other companies that are taking money and see how it goes. Like, was it a value? Yeah. Investor. This is true of whether it's CBC or regular VC, by the way, you know, is they should do diligence on what the investor's experience is like, or, the, or this company's experience is like with the investor, and be confident that they're picking somebody good for them in whatever form that takes. And so just taking the money and hoping for it to be a good relationship yeah. doesn't, you know, it's, it's a marriage, you know, yeah. it, and divorce is ugly. <laughs> <laughs> For sure. Now there was an interesting question earlier, um, which uh, I think Harry, you you sort of answered in the in the Q and A as well. But it would be quite it'd be interesting to go into because this is an audience that's heavily CVC uh, investors. And there was one, you know, what advice or what would you say to a CVC investor who does want to make the transition that both of you made, which is then to go into traditional VC? Um, I don't know, Harry. It's very fresh for you. So any? Uh... Yeah. Well, um, VC cares only about money making. Very simple. So if you're in a CVC and you want to move to BC, um, focus on deals where you think that you're going to make a lot of money. Deals that will have, you know, those three X or that great IRR. Focus on making those deals. Second, make sure you get attribution to those deals that you're the person who sourced it or who did the deal or who sits on the board. That is your deal or you are part of that deal team, right? Um, and then and then uh, make those a success. And right now, it's not a very good time to jump from CVC into VC because um, there's going to be downsizing in VC. It's very difficult to fundraise because of the denominator effect. And um, and and I, I I have intelligence in the market that even VC firms are going to be laying off people. So it's not a great time. So hunker down, do good deals, and in 24 months, uh, based on your track record um, and your domain expertise, of experience, um, you can make inroads into getting to VC. Yeah. Okay. So hold fire. And I guess 
Yeah, we we don't know yet how long this downturn uh, is going to take. So uh, we'll see. Okay. Well, I think you know. On that note, um, I I I know we didn't get to all the questions, but what we can do. Can I say something that kind of I want to say from a, a different question about the speed? Mm-hmm. Um, that that is correlated to how your setup is in your investment committee. But if you have that independent investment committee, you have the ability. Um, you have the, the empowerment and you should have the ability to process deals really quickly because the best deals are go- not going to wait for you. They're not going to wait for an approval from corporate. They're not going to wait for a commercial contract. You just have, if you believe that this is a strategic and a good investment, you should be able to move fast. So you want to have that freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think my last comment would be, look, when you take a job, the most important thing is that you enjoy your job, you enjoy your colleagues you feel good when you go home at night and when you get up in the morning, you feel that it's rewarding to you and the way you define it. Um, neither company, neither type of venture fund is stable and secure. They both have their risks and um, they both have their dramas and they both have their greatness. You know, And so it's more of a think about choosing the job that suits you, makes you feel good about yourself and your colleagues and all the rest than it is about one is better than the other. I've gone back and forth. You know, and um, I would continue to go back and forth if that were the, you know, if the right place, the right time kind of situation. Um, I had great experiences in both, you know, sides of this, the venture market. And I, you know, hope to continue to do so someday after I get past my, I need to be an operating person itch again. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's, it's not a black and white experience. Yeah. But it does sound based on what you've said that you would look fairly carefully at, at the structure. Uh, oh, of something. hell yeah. And, but of either one. I mean, yep. I would never go to a financial venture fund where I wasn't on the investing committee again, you right. know, where I wasn't a partner again. I just, you know, I just wouldn't. And you have to have some, you know, determination over your own destiny in either situation because that's what's important to me, you know. And I think if you're younger in your career, it may be different. Um, you know, there's there's all sorts of considerations and you just have to like liking your job is more important than it optimizing for perfection. Yeah. Whatever that means. Okay. Well, I think we're probably going to have to leave it there because we're almost at the top of the hour and I have to um, do a kind of few housekeeping uh, notices as, as we finish off, but thank you um, so much, Lisa and, uh, and Harry for, for sharing that. I think, what I would say to the audience is, you know, there's a lot of questions today and um, what we can do is we are going to keep writing about this in uh, global corporate venturing. So come back and check out our website, because I think some of these issues around remuneration or the difference between, you know, uh, investing from a de- dedicated fund versus off the balance sheet and the pros and cons or how, you know, I think it's pretty clear from your point of view, maybe it's it's definitely the dedicated fund is preferable if you are stuck with having to invest off the balance sheet. Are there ways, you know, are there ways of of, of making that work? I mean, these are all questions that we we intend to look at um, all the time. Uh, so I, I would say, you know, come back. We're going to do a write up of some of the main lessons that we can uh, draw from this discussion. So um, a lot really for people to, um, you know, if you're interested in this topic, just please do come back and check it out. And that was the Next Wave webinar. Don't forget that next month's webinar will be on space tech and on CVC's role in that industry. It's shaping up to be a deeply insightful panel about investments outside the Earth's atmosphere, so make sure not to miss it. 
Global Venturing Review's sound engineer is Mark Chatterley from In-Ear Production, whose great work you can check out at inearproduction.com, and our music is by Kevin McLeod on a Creative Commons license. We'll be back again very soon. Until then, take care. Yeah.